Hello, listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a bi-weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. Welcome to the Night Court, listeners. With the celebration of Samhain last week, we are officially once again into the part of the year where the daylight hours are shorter, the nights are longer, and everything is a little extra spooky. So this week, let's meet some creatures that are real big fans of the extra nighttime hours and some of their cousins, and hammer out the complicated relationship between trolls, ogres, and oni as well as why giants are everyone's favorite biggest losers. Let's start with trolls. Trolls are not just for the internet, and arguably the original troll is a much more pleasant creature to deal with. Trolls hail from Scandinavian folklore, where their appearance varies greatly, but they generally fall into one of two categories, small and human-like, or large and more animalistic. Many people tend to think of the large and slow-witted trolls found in works like Harry Potter and The Hobbit, but the word troll is more like fey in definition. It's intentionally vague, so it can encompass a large number of creatures of different appearances and abilities. Some human-like trolls are indistinguishable from humans except for their tails, which can be either cow or fox-like. Some trolls can speak, and some can do magic. Whatever the troll's appearance, though, most trolls like to live in either isolated, mountainous areas as far away from people as possible, or under bridges, where they will challenge any being that wishes to use the bridge to a game of riddles. Typically, trolls have to hide during the day, as direct exposure to sunlight will turn them into stone. Several rock formations throughout Norway have names relating them to trolls, as either the discarded weapons of trolls who fought mythic heroes, or as trolls themselves who were unlucky enough to get caught out during the day. If, however, you find yourself stumbling across a troll at night, don't panic. Trolls are the least likely to eat you out of all the creatures in this episode, and they have two very well-known dislikes. Lightning and church bells. In older mythology, trolls are afraid of thunder and lightning, and some scholars speculate that this is due to their close tie to the Jotun, a race of ambiguously described giants in Norse mythology that often stood in conflict with the gods. Thor, the god of thunder, was particularly fond of hunting and killing the Jotun and all related creatures, so trolls tend to avoid anything even remotely related to the god of thunder. This dislike of gods is then carried over to church bells, and Christians in general, who trolls also try their best to avoid. This last fear is probably due to the tendency of Christianity to turn any local creature into something satanic, but if I were a troll, I'd be pretty suspicious of any son of God who can control the weather too. Ogres and Oni, on the other hand, are real people people. Specifically, they really enjoy eating people especially babies and children. Ogres can be found throughout world mythology, and they are generally portrayed as human-like, but disproportionately large and tall. 
with big heads, lots of hair, and unusual skin coloring, such as blue or green. Oni also come in blue and green and red, but are generally portrayed as more muscular, and with at least one horn on their heads. And where a European ogre may be dressed in noble's clothes, the Oni is more interested in broadcasting how fearsome it is, with tiger pelts and iron clubs being the Oni standard in fashion. Ogres and Oni are kind of in-between creatures in that they have all the fearsome size of a mountain troll, but they aren't quite as big as giants. Despite not being the largest though, both the Oni and the Ogre have a pretty good go-to trick up their sleeves. Both monsters have the ability to change their appearance. In the classic fairy tale Puss in Boots, the cat puss happens upon an ogre in a castle who can take the form of any animal, transforming into a lion and then a mouse. Likewise, an etymology for the Japanese Oni's name is that the word Oni is derived from the reading of a Chinese character that means to hide or conceal, that was adopted into the Japanese language. Both Oni and ogres have had a surge in popularity in the past 20 years, thanks to films like Shrek and anime and manga that portray Oni as more silly than full of bloodlust. And then there are giants. Giants are another creature that can be found all throughout Indo-European mythology, everywhere from Greece to the Celts to Norse and Hindu mythology. Giants have played a lot of roles in myths and legends, from heroes to blacksmiths to antagonists who can smell human blood. Typically, when people talk about giants, the giants are essentially gigantic humans. But it doesn't have to be that way. In Greek mythology, giants were the offspring of Gaia and Uranus, the titans that came before the gods. Giants were huge, monstrous, and savage creatures, and were often depicted with men's bodies terminating in serpentine legs. Kind of like a big, fearsome Starbucks mermaid. What I find really sets giants apart from ogres, trolls, and oni, though, is that a unifying theme of giants throughout several mythologies is that they are all dead now. In Greek and Norse mythology, the giants were created before the gods, but the gods overthrew them, which eventually led to humanity. Giants are credited throughout the world as having built everything from hill figures, such as the giant of Serene, cut in chalk near Dorset, England, to the giant's causeway in Ireland. But unlike dragons and ogres and oni and trolls, almost all legends related to giants take place in an earlier time, where direct interaction with gods was more frequent than any interaction with humans. Which, one might think would be a reason for people not to believe in giants. Part of the reason that it was so easy for people throughout the world to believe the giant myth, though, was that people kept finding giant skeletons. I'm serious. Throughout Europe and Asia, people would regularly uncover gigantic humanoid skeletons. And some people even gave these giants backstories. For example, during the Roman occupation in 81 BC, the people of Tangier, Morocco, would regale Roman soldiers with stories of their city's founder, a giant named Antaeus. They even claimed that he had been buried nearby, in a mound south of town. Eventually, the soldiers had had enough, and so they dug into the mound, 
intending to call the townspeople's bluff. Much to their surprise, though, an enormous skeleton surfaced, which they then reburied with honors. So, what were these people uncovering? Well, in a sense, giants. Just not giant humans. Throughout the world, people were accidentally digging up the surprisingly human remains of mastodons, mammoths, and woolly rhinoceroses, which at one point in history could have been found worldwide. And if you've ever seen an elephant skeleton, it's easy to see how someone with no knowledge of giant elephant ancestors, or in Europe, even knowledge of elephants themselves, would mistake the long limbs and round skull for misshapen human remains. Many scholars even think the hollow in an elephant or mammoth skull where the animal's trunk would fit is the reason so many myths had one-eyed giants and cyclopses. And because they only ever found skeletons, many mythologies about giants revolve around the fact that they must have fought a war, and lost very badly. And that's why they're no longer around. It's kind of a sad way to explain all the giant skeletons. But you have to admit, with limited knowledge of prehistoric animals, they did grasp the essential truth of the bones. These creatures were here before us. And without their end, there would be no us. I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit about our bigger friends. If you enjoyed stomping around with the giants and big knowledge is now your big mood, check out the show notes. As always, intro and outro as well as musical score were done by troll mason Scott Ethington. Find more music to uncover fossils with at Bazooka Raccoon on SoundCloud.com. Finally, if you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes, or consider donating to our Patreon. Every little bit helps, and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening, and remember, anyone can be a monster. Monster.